Good morning, church. If you would, open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to continue where we left off last week, and I think Kenny did a really good job of, of walking us through those first two verses and giving us a, an overview of this epistle. And he showed us the context and the purpose and the structure and the, the themes. And I think those, those themes are so important because as we enter into the, the text today, you know, we see one of those themes that he talked about uh, was the, the theme of the Trinity. And we see the, the Trinity being displayed in these verses that we're going to be entering into. I'm a, you could bring that down. And so if we look at these verses, I think it's important to, to know that, that God has a purpose in writing these and de- declaring these truths to us. And we're going to see that this morning. So we're going to be looking at verses 3 through 6. But I, because of context, what I want to do is I want to read, beginning at verse 1, all the way through verse 14. So let's go ahead and read. This is the Word of God. Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory." In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Let's pray. Father, I come before you this morning, and as we, as we dive into this section of scripture, I pray that most of all, that you would be glorified. Lord, we see this over and over and over again in this passage, that these things that you are declaring to us are to the praise of your glory, to the praise of your your glorious grace. Lord, we thank you that you have not left us in the state that we were in, that you have called us from eternity past that you have presented us with the gospel of our salvation, that we have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, and that you have sealed us with your Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you that, that this salvation that we have is in 
Christ Jesus, and it's because of him that we stand here today. Lord, we love you and we thank you for this time that we can come and, and read and study your word. Lord, we pray that we would be edified and that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, Jeff said during his announcement that he was having a hard time maybe with grammar. And when I look back at, at my life, when I look back at my junior high days and my high school days, one of the things was that I struggled with English. Not speaking English, but writing English. And, and so, you know, you, you had to turn your papers in. And, and I can just remember this so vividly that when, when I got my papers back, there would be a lot of red writing on them. And one of the things that was, that was often said on those papers was, this is a run-on sentence. <laughs> I was really good <laughs> at writing run-on sentences. But the reason I bring that up is when we look at this passage that I, that I just read, verses uh, 3 all the way through verse 14, that is a run-on sentence in Greek. It's 202 words long. I don't think Paul took my English classes. <laughs> Obviously, he wasn't speaking English. He was speaking Greek, and he was writing Greek. But, but he, writes, he writes this sentence, and I think, I think he does so to just to, to dive right into this this amazing truths that he's going to let, he's going to speak to us about. Now, when you look at that, Paul would, Paul would normally, and you see this in most of his epistles, you, you see that Paul normally, he gives a, a greeting, and it's a greeting followed by a, a thanksgiving and prayer. But in Ephesians, you don't see that, you see the greeting in, in verses in one, 1 and 2, but you, you don't see the thanksgiving and prayer until what, till when? Till verse 15. And I think what Paul is, is doing here is, is he's, he's just saying, I can't, I can't contain myself. I, I just want to declare to you these amazing truths that, that, that God has done so that God might give the glory and the, the praise that is, that is due his name. And one commentator said this, we enter this epistle or this letter through a, magnific through a magnificent gateway. It's a golden chain of many links or a kaleidoscope of dazzling lights and shifting colors. Now, in, and in this passage, what we're going to see today is we're going to see the blessing of election and predestination and, and love and adoption and, and holiness. And as I said, one of the themes that Kenny mentioned last week was the, 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 the theme of, of the Trinity. And in this passage, in these, these pass, uh, from verse 3 all the way through verse 14, you see the, the Trinity being displayed. And in verses 3 through 6, you, you see the, the Father's plan of redemption. But it ends in verse 6 with this, to the praise of His glorious grace. And then in verses 7 through 12, you see the son purchasing that redemption, ending with this, to the praise of his glory. And then in verses 13 through 14, you see the spirit protecting that redemption, ending with to the praise of his glory. 
And as if God is, is showing us and demonstrating to us and informing us why we should worship God and why we should praise Him. And it's through that lens that we come to this and we see this Trinitarian form, formula where, where God is administering and, and, and the Son is accomplishing and, and, and the Holy Spirit is applying. And this is so amazing because apart from the triune God, the, go the gospel, our salvation would be impossible. It's because of the triune God that you and I are, are, are sitting here today, that you're hearing the word of God being proclaimed. Apart from the triune God, our salvation would be impossible. And as we spend time in this, this long sentence, yes, it's been broken up for us by verses. We're only going to be looking at three of them today. Uh, that there, you have these three sections, and, and just this, this last week, the pastors and elders, we sat down and, and we went through a, a teaching on the book of Ephesians and how to, how to rightly teach through the book of Ephesians. We, we were doing this, and, and one of the things this, this professor said was, you know, you, you can just preach verse by verse through the book of Ephesians, but, but he said this, it, it would take forever. But one of the things I found in just going through verses 3 through 6 is you could probably preach it word by word. It's that rich. There are so many things in this, in this section. There's, as I said, election and, and, and holiness and, and adoption and, and predestination. And, and so, and election. And, and so these are just a, an amazing truth. And, and one of the things when you look at these, these verses, verses 3 through 6, they're not, they're not necessarily in a vacuum. They're connected to everything else. In fact, they're connected to chapter 2. And in, in some ways, I, would, I wish Paul would have uh, set chapter 2 before this because he's getting to the praise and the glory before he gets to the bad news of what we were before. In chapter 2, just for instance, in verse 1, he says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. We were dead. That's our condition before Christ. In verse 3, he says, You were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. I mean, this is, this is not good news. You, you kind of want the bad news before the good news. Then in verse 12, he says, Having no hope and without God in the world. That was our, our condition. That was our spiritual condition. And, and the question is that, if this is our condition, what must we do? And, and the answer is really, you know, in that state, you can't do anything. If we're dead, we can't do anything. We can't reach out to God. We can't call out to God. God must do something in us. No, this passage is about not what we need to do. It's about what God has done about what He has done through, through the Father's work and the Son's work and the Spirit's work. And when we look at the Father's work and the Son's work and the Spirit's work, it leads us to a place where we say, praise you and thank you that you did not leave me in the grave, that you resurrected me, that you gave me life. I was without hope, but you gave me hope. That's what this passage is about. And, and so it brings me to, to our first point, the Father's provision of spiritual blessing. And Paul begins this, and it's really this a doxology. It's a, it's a praise to God, and he's telling us how, how we were to bless him. And, and he says in verse 3, blessed be the God and Father 
of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we begin with, with God the Father because He is the source. And Paul's first order is to, to praise, to sing hallelujahs. And, and this, this idea of blessed be God is a, is, is a, is a Jewish prayer that, that Paul is, is converting to, to Christianity and, and he's using that in a way that, that is termed. And, and we, we may just say this, praise God. And sometimes I think we flippantly say that, right? We, we don't really think about what we are doing or saying. But Psalm 150 verse 6 says this, Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And so we see this in, in verse 3, that blessed be the God and Father of our, or of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has what? He's blessed us. And that, that's two forms of of the same word. And it means to, to speak well of. And, it, and so when we say praise God or, or blessed be God, we're speaking well of him. When, when he blesses us, we know that that comes in many forms. But one way is that he says, you are blessed. My, we have this song that my wife has been playing on YouTube for my grandkids. And I'm taking a chance by actually telling you what it says. <laughs> But it, it says, hallelujah, 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 praise ye the Lord. And, and it goes on and it says this over and over again. And then it says, praise, what's that? And it says, it's a yippee yahoo way to go, God. <laughs> it's a yippee yahoo way to go, God. And as I was studying, I couldn't help it. I had to call my, or text my wife. Where's that song? But it's because it's speaking well of him. Blessed be God. He is, he is blessed. He is praised. He is worthy to receive glory and honor. And, and, and I love it that my grandkids are getting, getting this at this young age, that they may understand that, that he is worthy to, to be praised. And, and look at who this this blessing is, is for us. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has what? Blessed us. He's blessed us, you and I. He's, he's, obviously, he's blessed Paul and, and the Ephesians, but by extension, he, he has blessed every believer. And this really speaks of, of a relationship. And he, he says, blessed us, that he has blessed us in Christ with what? Every spiritual blessing. Jeff asked me earlier this morning, I think he was trying to catch me, he said, so, so what blessings are left for us? And I said, none. <laughs> no spiritual blessings are left for us. And, and this word in Greek means each and, and every and, and any, and it, it comes from, from God the Father. And this is important because we often find ourselves looking for, for blessings in this life that will make us happy and, and content. And, and the truth is we can't find the true blessing in this life that will make us happy and content. Now, there are things, there are things in this life that God has blessed us with, hasn't he? I mean, somebody said to me this morning, you're, you're a blessed man, and, and I am a, a blessed man. I mean, I think of all that I that I have, that God has blessed me with, with a, a, a job and a, a family and a, a wife and, and four children who, 
who believe and, and, and three grandchildren and, and more on the way. And I think he's given me the church and all these things. What, what blessings that, that, that I have. And, but these bl are blessings of, of this life. And so, certainly many of these relationships are, are going to carry over into the eternal state. But when you, when you seek these to be content, we miss we miss what God is, is telling us in this passage and that the source of every spiritual blessing is, is God the Father and He has blessed us with, with them all, all of them, every one of them. And notice that that's past tense. He has blessed us. He has blessed us. These are things that, that, that we already have. And if you are in Christ, you, you are a recipient of every spiritual blessing. And those are found in the gifts of the Father to the Son. And, and that's what he does. He's, he's saying that we are recipients of the gifts of God, the spiritual gifts of God. And now what he's going to do in the rest of these verses is lay out what those spiritual blessings are. Certainly they're more numerous than these. But he's going to lay out what the Father has done, what the, the Son has done, and what the Spirit has done. And so when we remember that, that he has brought us in into a relationship, we have to start with the fact of what I mentioned earlier, that, that we were sinners and that we were, we were brought into a, a relationship in Christ. And we were dead and, and we were na by nature children of wrath and we were without hope. But he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So again, that reinforces the fact that these are, these are not the blessings that we receive here. They, they are things that, that we have received that, that God has stored up for us in heaven. And, and some of these are, are amazing in that the, chapter 2, verse 6 says that we are seated in the heavenly places that we are seated in the heavenly places. Chapter 3 says that the rulers and authorities have been given the gospel in the heavenly places. Paul will say in, in chapter 6 that we wage war in, in the heavenly places. And so if I can say this, and it's that every one of these blessings that, that Paul gives us are, are out of this world, pun intended. They are out of this world. They, they, are, they, they are, are so amazing. And, if, and, and as we walk through these blessings, we realize that every blessing that, that Paul mentions, whether it be election or adoption or redemption or forgiveness of sins or uh, revelation of God's purpose, sealing by the Holy Spirit, inheritance, or hope for the future, all of these spiritual blessings, they're not something that that we can hold on to, tangible. They're not like the blessing of, of having a wife. They're not like the blessing of having a, a nice car. They're not like the blessing of having a nice house. But they're real. They're just as real as the blessings that we have on earth. But the thing is that they're more important. They're more important than the blessings that we, that we have on earth. And that brings us to, the, to our second point, because what Paul does here at this point, we see, first we see the Father's provision of, of spiritual blessing, but now we come to the, the Father's plan of spiritual blessing. 
And Paul wants to show us where these spiritual blessings begin. And he moves into what, what is known as the doctrine of divine election. And we see this in verse 4 and verse 5. In verse 4 it says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. And then in verse 5 it says, in love he predestined or, or predetermined us for adoption to himself as sons. And then at the end of verse 5 he says, according to the purpose of his will. Now God's choosing, God's predestination, God's will fall under what, what is known as, as God's sovereignty. And when we mine this doctrine of election, I understand that there are those who come out and just say completely, I, I just deny this, this doctrine. And then there are others who, who struggle with this, with this doctrine, how to, how to understand it, how, how, to, how to reconcile it with man's responsibility. I understand that. But, but I think what when you read Ephesians, you don't get the idea that divine election and, and predestination were controversial to Paul. To him, they weren't. They were, they were just truths, and, and he's declaring these truths. And, and so my point and, and what I desire is that we would, we would come to a place that, that we would be those who, who love and embrace this doctrine, because in it is the salvation of God for us who are sinners, who are dead, who are by nature children of wrath, who were without hope in the world. And it's because of God's doing that we have been redeemed. And Paul is writing to believers and he's writing to those who have tasted and, and seen that the Lord is good. And what he is saying is a, a very simple thing. And, and, and when you think about your salvation... When did your salvation begin? And when I look back at my life, I remember there was a, a time when I was 24 years, years old. It was back in 1988. And I remember sitting in a church, and I had never been to church except when I was a little boy. And, and I'm sitting in this church in 1988, and, and I'm hearing the gospel being proclaimed, and I believe and I, I make a, a, a profession of faith at that time. And, and I think, is, is that when my salvation was determined? And, and then I think back at my life, and I, I look back, and I, I can see God's hand long before I made that, that profession of faith. And, and I look back at a time in my life when even the, in the few days before I made that profession of faith, and I realized I, I was in a place that... I felt empty and, and unfulfilled in my life. And I look back at a time in my adolescence when, when I was part of a, a, a broken family. And I, and I think, well, when was it that, that God was moving me to, to come to himself? And I think what Paul is, is saying is that, that my election, it started, it started before I was even born. My election started before I was even born. It started in, in eternity past, before the, the foundation of the world. He chose us in Christ. He set his, his love upon us. Do you know when, 
When you give thanks for your salvation, what, what is it that you say? You say, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for, for my salvation. You say, thank you. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for leading me to Christ. Thank you for revealing yourself to me. Thank you for loving me. No, we don't, we don't come and say to him, we don't say, you know, I'm thankful that I just had the stuff. I had the right stuff to believe. It's about me. No, it's about, it's about him. And, and I know we, we talk about these things. We get kind of caught up with, well, well what about... What about free will? What about that decision I made? What about my choice? And when we speak of our salvation, when we think it has to do with, with our choice or, or our decision, what that does is it puts a limit on, on what God is, is able to do. And it limits His, his sovereignty. It says God is only sovereign up to a certain point. And then He then he leaves us to ourselves. But that is, that is not the God of the Bible. Daniel chapter 4, verse 35, speaking of God's sovereignty, says, all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And I think what, what he's saying here is that man doesn't persuade God. All the inhabitants of earth are accounted as nothing. And he, speaking of God, does not does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Psalm 115 verse 3 says, God, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Now, when I, when I came to Christ, I, I, I made a decision. I, I believed. I, I put my faith and in, in trust in Christ but when I looked back, as I said, I looked back and I saw God drawing me to himself. I saw, I saw the circumstances of my life, going back all the way to when I was a, a, a teenager and, and my brother attending a Bible study across the street from our house and them giving him a Bible. I had nothing, I didn't want anything to do with going to that Bible study. But my brother brought a Bible home and I would read that Bible now and then. That was God's sovereign work in, in drawing me to himself. Jesus says in, in John chapter 6, verse 44, no one can come to me, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And as I was studying, I came across a sermon by Alistair Begg, and, and, and I think this, is, this was really helpful. And, and he, he shared this because it was helpful uh, and I just want to read these things. And, and one of the things that, that he does is he says, how does someone become a believer? How does someone become a believer? And, and, he, and he talks about how does someone become a believer as a, an adult and as a child? And, but he lists these things. And how is it that we come to saving faith? And, and the first one he says is this. As the truth of the gospel is presented to us, in whatever form, the Holy Spirit convinces us of its truth. So when the gospel is being presented to us, the, the Holy Spirit convinces of, us of its truth. 
I mean, in my case, I had the gospel proclaimed to me. I had read the Bible. I had, I had heard the, the presentation, and I had rejected it over and over and over again. And then that one day, that one day sitting in that church, I heard the gospel proclaimed, and something had changed. The truth of the gospel is presented, and the, the, the Holy Spirit convinces us of that truth. Secondly, as we now recognize the truth of the gospel, the Holy Spirit enables us, enables us to apply these truths to ourselves. You've heard people say this, why well, believe that's good for you? <laughs> I understand that. I, I understand it, but that's good for you. I, I remember a, a, a friend of mine when I became a Christian, and I was presenting the gospel to him, and he said exactly that, I believe but I'm not going to follow Christ. I believe, but I'm not going to follow Christ because the Holy Spirit had not brought him to the place. The Holy Spirit had not enabled him to apply these truths to himself. Thirdly, having been convinced of our sin and our need of a Savior, the Holy Spirit makes clear to us the remedy for our sin in the person and work of Jesus Christ. See, the Holy Spirit opens up our eyes to the truth of what, what Christ has done. And we, we come face to face with him. And then fourthly, the result, he says, is our faith is not built on human wisdom, but on the power of God. Our faith is not built on human wisdom, but on the power of God. And, and Paul says this, for, for I decided, in 1 Corinthians 2, I, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in, in weakness and fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. See, our faith does not rest in, in somebody persuading us. It, it doesn't rest in something internally within us to allow us to believe. It rests on the power of God to bring salvation to, to the needy sinner. And then fifthly, he says this, he says, the effective working of the Holy Spirit in our hearts to bring us to faith in Jesus is entirely without reference to our own merits. Amen. To our, entirely without reference to our own merits. And, we, and when you look down at verse 13 of our passage, it says this, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. See, he doesn't he says that God is, is sovereignly working, and he, he doesn't take belief away from us. No, Alistair Begg ends with this statement. God enables us to believe, but God does not believe for us. God enables us to believe, but God does not believe for us. I remember I've had several conversations. It's with my, with my brother about this particular doctrine. And it's, they were at times vigorous conversations, trying to persuade him and, and him holding firmly to, to his side and, and me holding firmly to my side. And, but I remember this one occasion and, and, and I think that there's just a misunderstanding. There's a misunderstanding that people have that if we believe that God is completely sovereign, 
over the salvation of sinners that, that man is not responsible. That's a misunderstanding. We might not completely understand it, how that can be true, but that's what the Bible teaches. And I, and I remember reading Ephes I mean, Acts chapter 13, verse 48. And in Acts chapter 13, the Jews have rejected the gospel. And now the gospel is going to the Gentiles. And this is what it says. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And it says this, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. As many who were appointed to eternal life believed. Why did they believe? Because they were appointed to eternal life. And I know, I know this is, this is hard, but they believe because they were, they were appointed. And so I stand here before you and I, I say with confidence that every one of us who has placed their trust in Christ will say that they owe their salvation to Him. It's not something that we come up with. It's, it's not an afterthought in the plan of God. No, God has predestined us. He's, he's elected us. And when we, we look at these spiritual blessings that, that we looked at in verse 3, that believers have in Christ, they are declared in verses 4 through 14. And the first is that God chose us before the foundation of the world. And the difficulty in accepting divine election or, or what we call sovereign grace or, or God's choosing is, is not in our ability to understand it. I, th I think we, we know that. We, we can understand it, but, but it's a, a challenge at times for people to accept it. And I, I can say when I was a new believer, I, I did not accept it. It was a process of studying Scripture and, and seeing the truth. And we have to understand that, that we don't completely understand it, and, and our, our human logic doesn't allow us to fully understand it. God's Word says the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever. Now, God has revealed these truths, and, and I like what this one, this one commentary said, human logic cannot harmonize divine sovereignty and human responsibility. But both are, are equally taught in Scripture. Neither should be adjusted to fit the parameter of the other. They form an antimony that eludes our, eludes our best attempts at explanation. You know, I've, I want to recommend a, a couple books. One, one is Arthur Pink, The Sovereignty of God. I read that uh, years ago. And another is uh, by D.A. Carson, Divine Sovereignty and, and Human Responsibility. And what you see in, in Divine Sovereignty and Human Responsibility by D.A. Carson, what he does is he walks through the, the whole of Scripture, showing us how, how these two things run uh, parallel, that God is sovereign and man is responsible. And so, as uh, that theologian said, neither should be adjusted to fit the parameters. Pink says this, that we have to hold these two in tension. He actually uses this illustration, and I've used it before, that, that it's like a rope going over the top of a pulley, and, and we have to hold on to these two ropes to hold ourselves up. And if we let go of one or the other, we will crash. Now, so we hold on to these truths. 
Albert Lecky says this, the fact of election is taught in our Bibles, whether it be uh, in respect to angels, Israel, or the church. And, and though there may be much about it, we cannot understand, we humbly and worthily accept the truth of it. And that's what we have to do. And brothers and sisters, I am, I'm not telling you that I, that I fully understand it, but I rejoice in it because my salvation depends on it. If it was up to me, I would be utterly lost. One of the things we do is we struggle with these, these doctrines sometimes. And one of the things, several of the songs that we sing speak of the doctrines of grace. They speak of the doctrines of grace. And we don't have a hard time singing them at all because we know in our hearts that they are, they are true. I mean, one of my... My favorite songs is, is what, Jeff, you know this, He Will Hold Me Fast, right? He will hold me fast. Why? Because it's the doctrine of grace that, that I, if, if it was up to me and myself, I would be lost. Another song that I love is All I Have is, is Christ. And we sing these songs and we rejoice in these songs. That song says this, I, I once was lost. In darkest night, yet thought I knew the way. The sin that promised joy and life had, had led me to the grave. I had no hope that you would own a rebel to your will. And if you had not loved me first, I would refuse you still. But as I ran my hellbound race, indifferent to the cost, you looked upon my helpless state and led me to the cross. That is the sovereign work of God drawing you to himself. And we sing that. We don't have a problem with it. Oh, these are God's truth. And verse 3, blessed be the God and, and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. And what was that purpose? That we should be holy and, and blameless before him. And this really is our beginning of our third point because it's, it's the, one of the purposes that God has made in, in electing us to himself, that we should be holy and blameless before him. And I really think that there are two parts to this. There, there is sanctification and there is, is glorification. And in this life, we know that, that, that we are called to be holy and blameless, and, and God is, is making us holy and blameless. And someday, when we will stand before Him, we will be glorified. And we're in this process, and we see this, as Paul declares in verse 1, that we are, what, saints. The idea that we are saints, that we are, that we are set apart. And Paul will say in Philippians chapter 2 a similar thing. In verse 15, he says, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as, as lights in the world. You know, we're told to let our light shine before men in such a way that they see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. And Paul says here that we should live in, in such a way um, among a, a crooked and, and twisted generation, among 
whom you shine as lights in the world, and we should live holy lives. You, you, you can't come to a place where you're a Christian and, and live a life that is, that is marked by sin. No, you just, you're just deceiving yourself. No, we're called to be, we're called to be holy and, and blameless. But notice, you know, yes, we should be holy and blameless in, in, in front of a world that is watching us, but look what it says that we should be holy and blameless before Him. Before Him. Before His eyes. He's the one in whom we have to do. He's the one that is with us always to the very end of the age. And we should, we should love Him. We should want his holiness. We should desire to be transformed into the image of Christ. We should put off the old self and put on the new. But he doesn't stop there, does he? As we continue our, our, our third point, he moves from, from the doctrine of election to the, to the doctrine of, of adoption. We see this in, in verse 5. He says, in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. This is, this is one of his, his great blessings that we rejoice in, that he has adopted us to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. It wasn't our choice to be adopted. You know, there are children who, who need to be adopted, aren't there? And we know that, that it that it is, they would, they would desire to do so, but, but it's God's doing. No, he, and, and what the purpose of this election and this, this predestination is, what is the mystery of the, that is now being made known is that God is taking wretched sinners like you and me, those who were dead in their trespasses and sins, those who were by nature children of wrath, those who had no hope in the world, and he's bringing them to himself. And his plan and purpose is, is not just to save us, not just to forgive us of, of our sins, but to adopt us into his family. And we, we cry out to him, we cry out to him, Abba, Father, this God who is the creator of the universe, brings us in, into a, a relationship with, with himself. And, 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 and he also brings us into a, a relationship with with each other as brothers and sisters. And we love because he first loved us. And so as brothers and sisters, we, we love one another. You know, we have several families in our church that have, have adopted. You know, Seth and, and Emily right now are considering fostering and, and adopting. And, you know, I look at some of these these children, these adopted children, we have Adam who came forward last time, we have Lily Grace, we have Maribel who's in the process of possibly getting adopted, we have Drew who's been adopted. And if you, if you know me, you know I, I love kids. And I think that these kids are, are so amazing. They're, they're wonderful, they're, they're amazing. And, and, and I look out at you as, a, as our congregation, I, you know what I think? You're amazing too. 
But it's not because of you. <laughs> it's not because of you. It's because of what God has done. John Piper, he says this, he says, we were not cute orphans. We were not cute orphans, but enemies in rebellion against God. That is who God decided before the foundation of the world to adopt. Romans chapter 5 or 6, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Romans chapter 5 verse 10, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Piper goes on, so our adoption is not based on our being worthy or cute or attractive. It is based on the free and sovereign grace of God, planned before the world and bought for us by the blood of Christ. You know, and we are adopted, and because we are adopted, we are, we are heirs because of what Christ has done, and we have been brought into a relationship. And Romans 8 verse, uh, verse 16 says, By, uh, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Do you understand that, that, that Christ has not only saved us and redeemed us, but, but he's, he's made us part of his family, and, and we are fellow heirs with, with Christ, and he has prepared for us before the foundation of the world his kingdom, and, and someday we will take hold of that. And you notice in this passage that, it, that he, he speaks of every spiritual blessing, and then he begins to lay those spiritual blessings out for us, election and predestination and adoption, and now we come to our, to our last point, and it's really the, the result of all that, that Paul has declared in, in verses 4 and 5, and it's the Father's praise for spiritual blessing. And we see that in verse 6, and it says this, all of this is to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He blessed us in the Beloved. Notice that, that last word. I'm, if you're using an ESV, you'll, you'll notice that it's capitalized in the beloved. Speaking of Jesus Christ, one of the themes that Kenny mentioned last week is that we are in Christ. We're going to be seeing that through the book of Ephesians, that we are in Christ. And because we are in Christ, we have the ability to praise Him for His glorious grace. He's speaking of Jesus Christ, and, and he's speaking of what he has done, and, and these truths that he's laying us for us, the truths of what the Father has done, the truths of what the, the Son has done, and the truths of what the Spirit has done, bring us to the place where we praise him for his glorious grace. Again, John Piper, speaking of this verse, says this, this takes your breath away. This takes your breath away. Before the foundation of the world, before there were any human beings who had sinned, before any human needed to be redeemed, God planned that the goal of creation and providence would be to the praise of the glory of His grace, and that this grace would come to people through the forgiveness of trespasses, through the blood of the beloved Son of God. In other words, not only was grace for undeserving people planned as the capstone of God's glory, but God planned for grace to be expressed through the blood being shed by His beloved Son for the trespasses that He never committed. 
What a, a glorious truth. That God, before the foundation of the world, would elect us to salvation, elect us to adoption, to, to do so because of nothing that we have done. That should take your, your breath away, brothers and sisters. To know that you were undeserving, and yet God in His grace has redeemed you. That the Father would send His beloved Son to be the sacrifice for our sins. That in eternity past, He set His love on us. That He would bring us into a relationship with Himself and with His Son. And He did so to the praise of His glorious grace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your salvation. Or we just reminded in your word that, that over, ago, over again, it tells us that, that salvation is of the Lord. The salvation is of the Lord. We need you. Lord, my prayer is that, that anybody here that has, has not known you beforehand, that you by your spirit would have awakened them to the truth of the gospel and that they would put their faith and trust in you and that you would save them. Lord, we thank you for the ability to come to you as the sovereign God of the universe and that you hear our prayers. In the name of your son, I pray. Amen.